Father, we pray that our hearts connect, our minds are open, our spiritual hearing is opened by your voice in Jesus' name. And we all say amen. You may be seated, church. Make some noise if you're happy to be here this morning. We are glad to finally be back. I thought this was our third Sunday, but this is our second Sunday. It feels good to hear the noise of all the babies in the room, all those crying babies say amen. Uh, I'm used to it, so don't worry about it. But if you have to exit for any reason, there is a TV room ready for any um, crazy child over there. So we could, we could take them that way. Uh, but thank you. It's great to, to be here with you guys and, and worship together. This is still not the way we want to do things. This isn't... And it feels a little bit awkward. We have to rush through things. We're trying to do our services in less than an hour. It's still very, you know, uncomfortable for for most of us. But at least we're here and at least we are able to gather before uh, before God as a people. And believe me, folks, this is not going to last forever. This is temporary. And one day everything will go back to normal. And you'll be able to hug somebody. And you'll be able to shake their hands and, and see them without a mask. So uh, if you're willing, waiting for that, say amen. Yes, open. Before we jump into our, our chapter today and our scripture of discussion this morning, I want to read with you uh, from the book of Matthew. So go with me this morning before we get started to the book of Matthew. And as a way of introduction, Matthew chapter 10, to set the verse in context a bit, in Matthew we have, in this particular section, we have Jesus doing what we have come to know as a pep talk. Uh, Not really, we don't want to condescend Jesus' words as a pep talk, but it's this halftime locker room speech to a team that's about to go and confront the battle on the field. And this speech is primarily to his disciples in chapter 10. He is getting them ready for this uphill battle, struggle, a, a, a power struggle that will be that they will face as they enter the world to begin their calling as evangelists. And what Jesus says to them in verse 16 of chapter 10 is that they will go out as sheep amongst wolves, getting them ready for an all-out attack. He also says that they will be delivered over to the authorities. People will call them out and hand them over to the authorities so that they could be imprisoned. In verses 21, some will be put to death. In verses 22, some will be hated. And in verse 23, they will be persecuted. If you guys don't understand the concept of persecution, persecution is when the the authorities don't like what you say or preach, especially when you're speaking about another king, in this case, King Jesus. And so ultimately, those who preach Jesus were persecuted, meaning they were imprisoned or killed. And so Jesus says to them in verse 22, some will be persecuted. However, read with me what verse 26 says. So have no fear of them. 
You get that? Simple enough, right? You're going to go out into a world that hates you. You're going to go out into a world that will persecute you and, and turn you into the authorities. And you're going to go out into a world that really wants to kill you because of the message that you hold and the message that you preach. And Jesus says, but don't be afraid. Everything's going to be okay, right? So have no fear, verse 26 says, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. Now jump down with me to verse 28. Why should they not fear? In verse 28, the answer is, and do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, Fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Who's he talking about here? Who is this one who can destroy both soul and body in hell? And the answer is pretty simple. It's the Heavenly Father. It's God Almighty who contains this power to throw people into hell. That's kind of a harsh Reality, when we think about it, God is all loving, God is merciful, God is gracious. However, God has the power to throw people into hell. And so Jesus says, while you're out there, don't be afraid of those that can kill you, that can just destroy your body. That, that's temporary. That's, that's only for this period of time in this present world. But there is someone who can kill both your body and soul. Your spirit that lives on. There is life after death. And so what Jesus is trying to get the disciples to realize is they should not fear or be afraid of this present reality because there is an eternal reality that they should be fearing and should be aware of. And so as they present this gospel, we, they have an authority with them that comes from God. So, in a sense, our modern concept of authority has been skewed or tainted because we see people in authority, especially nowadays, with, with, with rather, we're, we're apprehensive of authority figures. This culture is very apprehensive to authority. Many can say that this culture is very anarchist. We, 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 we refute authority, we don't like authority. And in a sense, because we've seen what authority has done to those in power. Some authority figures have abused their power, have, have corrupted their power, and so, far, and so far damaged thousands of people. We've seen this in the lives of prominent S&P 500 CEOs, even some mega church pastors, and even in these cultural movements that carry with them some, some kind of authority, but it's an authority that is a little bit off. It is an abusive authority. And so for some of us, what all of these negative connotations come to mind when we hear what authority is. So we have to come to understand that in Christ, he has the authority of the Father. And most of us, with this skewed view of authority, have come to understand what that famous phrase says. Power corrupts, absolute power corrupts, absolutely. That's not the case with Jesus Christ. 
And so what we've been studying in the passage of John, now go back with me to our passage of study today, as you see in your liturgy, in John chapter 5, we've been studying verses 18 through 29, specifically on the authority of Christ. Jesus has the authority, and what we learned a couple of weeks ago between 18 through 23, this authority that Christ has primarily comes from God. It is God's authority in Christ. God has given him the authority to have life and to judge. And so this authority that is represented in Christ is an authority that is found in the context of salvation. So this is the important thing here. It isn't authority to just do things or miraculous events or to fire someone or to call someone out. But it is salvation. It is salvific authority. The reason Christ has authority is because Christ saves. Christ alone saves. And Christ alone has the power to save your life and my life. What we read earlier in Matthew was God being having the authority to, to send people to everlasting life with him or to eternal condemnation. And so now, this same authority rests on the Son, Jesus Christ. He holds the power over life and death. This is pure. This is unadulterated power that comes from a holy God and a holy son. Jesus Christ has power that has not been corrupted. And so the power that Jesus does and uses is a pure power and is a pure authority. That is important, friends, because it's an authority that you and I will be called to submit to. This authority that rests in Christ, is an authority unlike anything that we've ever experienced in our life. And so friends, as we continue in our study this morning, our call is submit to the authority of Christ. Submit to Jesus Christ. If you're a son and daughter of God, it's easier for you to do so, even though there's some things that you may not like, some things in your life that you may have to surrender for those who do not consider themselves sons and daughters of Christ, or in the popular term, Christians, there might be a lot more antagonist, antagonism against this authority of Christ. Why should I submit to someone that killed themselves on a cross? Why should I, why should I give my, my, my obedience over to that? Well, because we know that that person who hung on the cross carries the same authority as the heavenly father, one who has the authority to send people to hell. So this reality is very prevalent in what we're going to be reading today. And as, as a matter of fact, this is what we've been studying from verses 18 and on. This is what we have in the picture here. This isn't my scare tactic to you. You know, we're living in the coronavirus time, so let me scare you guys a little bit so that you guys can be like, oh my God, let me, let me go to church more. Now, this isn't my tactic. This is what we've been studying throughout these past years in John. 
I'm not here to scare you. I'm here to call you to obedience in Christ. And this is what the Word of God does. So for our first section, as we continue in our passage, let's, let's read, with, with, um, read with me in chapter 5. Read with me starting off on verse 24. Verse 24. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has what? Eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Verse 25. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God. And those who hear will what? Live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him the authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out, those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. So this is the voice of Jesus. This is what Jesus is saying to his disciples and to his future church. Jesus has this authority as a life giver and as a judge. So this first section that we're going to be studying today, we may not even get to the second section just as a fair warning, but this first section finds itself between verses 24 through 27. And it highlights two major components on the authority of Christ. Once more, Jesus calls himself a life giver and Jesus is judge. Again, what is he? Life giver and he is judge. And by consequence, two groups exist. Those who receive life or spiritual life and those who remain condemned. Remember the words of Jesus in John chapter 3. After the famous verse of John 3.16, in verse 18, Jesus says, Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already. So as judge, condemnation will occur to those who do not believe. These are the people. These are the groups. So then, the question arises, who are the people that receive this life or this spiritual life or what Jesus calls eternal life? Who are these people? They're, these people have two primary characteristics. First, they hear. What does verse 24 say? It says, I say to you, whoever hears my word, what is that? They hear the words of Jesus. And what else? They believe in him who sent me. So the primary components of people that receive eternal life is that they hear the words of Christ, hear the words of Jesus. It is a, a, a type of attention that isn't just in one ear and out the other. It isn't the type of hearing that, you, that, that your kids have when you ask them to throw out the garbage. It isn't that type of hearing. It is spiritual hearing. That's why we pray that, that when, if you're here, that your spiritual ears can be opened. 
I can't open them because I'm not a spiritual being to a certain extent. Only the Spirit of God can open those deaf ears. Only God can raise us to life. And so these people are able to hear and they're able to believe in what they hear because they know who it comes from. Who does it come from? God, the one who sent the Son. So that's the important aspect here. These are the important components. So component number one, these people that hear my words, it is interesting to know that when Jesus says this, Jesus is preaching, and to a certain extent, to those who hate him most. He's preaching to the Sanhedrin, many believe. He's preaching to the Pharisees that are constantly on his back trying to hunt him down. But they are the recipients of this wonderful gospel proclamation. It's Jesus Christ telling them, those who hate him the most, I say to you, says Jesus, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. Jesus is confronting those who hate him with a life-giving message. Why? Because to reject that message will remain, keep them in condemnation. So what does Jesus do? Jesus came to save all peoples, even those who hate him. And by consequence, they reject and push him aside and therefore remain in condemnation. But they were invited to receive eternal life. Just like every single one of you here. Everyone here has this invitation today to receive eternal life. We've all understood this important fact that the simple action of coming to church isn't salvific. The simple act of your butt in a chair isn't a saving act. The fact that you grew up in church, the fact that you, you, you spent the majority of your time in church, doesn't exclude you from a life of condemnation. It is those who hear and believe. And so that's why Jesus presents this case. If you've noticed several times in, in, from verses 24 and on, and he even does this from verses 18 and on, he continuously calls them to attention by saying, truly, 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 truly. It's like in English, in modern English, it doesn't really make sense. Like, why would you say that twice? But it's Jesus is calling the people to attention. Jesus is saying this is important. Why? Because it has to deal with your etern eternity. It has to deal with where you will spend the rest of your life. So this isn't just some game. This isn't just some religion. This is actual life and death. This is what Jesus presents. He that hears my word and hears it with spiritual hearing will come to life. It's a glorious offer that is made to everyone. So how does one believe? By hearing Christ's word and his gospel, the gospel is powerful enough to awaken the dead. Preaching the gospel 
saying the words of Christ is powerful enough to make those who are dead or asleep come to life. That's why my sole duty is to preach the word of God. That's why Paul insisted, as he says in Romans, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Not the word of Jonathan, not the word of some other pastor, not the word of some pastor on TV, the word of Christ. Paul stresses this at the beginning of Romans when he says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. Why? For it is the power of God for what? For salvation. It is the word of God, it is the word through Christ that brings power to the life of every dead person and brings them into a life with Christ. That's why I can't change anybody here. There's, there's many times in counseling that we've had to encounter back, back before coronavirus, you know, when we actually got to sit down with couples and sit down with people, and they would say, change my husband. And I'm like, I can't change your man. We, I can't change him. Like, I, I could try to be like, hey, bro, be... You know, try to do, you know, try to hug your wife every once in a while or, or try to kiss her, you know. But I can't change his sinful nature. Likewise, I can't change her nagging nature or I can't change her sinful nature. I can't. Only God can bring life to a dead person. And in this case, Jesus is saying, hear my words. I am the life giver, what the disciples that were walking back after the, the death of Christ and, and they were having a conversation on the famous Emmaus Road and they're conversing and then Jesus Christ appears to them and it is what he says that amazes them. In Luke chapter 24 it says, they said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures. So these disciples were awakened to the fact of, of, of the glory of God and Christ through the scripture reading, through the scriptures that were presented, through the teaching of the word of God. You may ask yourself, why do we read the Bible so much on Sunday morning? Because it's life-giving. Because it's the script, because it's the word of God. It's like, why do we have to be so mechanical in this? Why do we, we read in the morning and then we read it again and then we read again. And it's like, because we believe that the scriptures are powerful. They carry within them life. And so we seek to arise the, 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 those hearts and arise those, those ears, spiritual ears, by the, by the preaching of God's word. Do people believe because they're intelligent? Because they're rich or because they're in the top 1% or because they're famous? No. People believe in the words of Christ because the words of Christ are powerful enough to change them. To awaken them to see the reality of their corrupt nature. There comes a point in time where you see what Jesus says. You hear what Jesus says and you compare it to everything else in your life. 
You, you, you see the presentation of the glory of Christ. You see the beauty of the Son of God, the, the, the Lamb who was slain. There comes a point in time in your life when you will see that, hear that, and then look at everything else that you have in your world, and you will be like, wow, this is all worthless. This is all meaningless. But it doesn't come by some smart revelation doesn't come by weighing the pros and the cons. doesn't come by a diagram. It comes by the awakening of the voice of Christ. And friends, when you see this world as meager, when you see this world as just another passing moment in your life, when you see this world as less then what you have in Christ, you are beginning to live. You are beginning to walk in eternal life. You have come to the realization of why should I fear? Whom should I fear? Because you have Christ. And so therefore, friends, the church's sole responsibility, and the reason we gather here every Sunday morning after Corona the reason why we're here is because we preach the gospel. The church has this mission and responsibility to preach the gospel and not some cheap substitute. Not some motivational speeches that will make you feel good for the rest of the week. It is here to preach the gospel. And as you sit in those seats... And as you stand in those places in worship and in awe and in adoration, we're not here to have a fun time in a, to a certain extent. It's not, it's not called to, to have fun. We're here to worship. We're here because we, re, we are reminded continuously that we were sinners saved by grace. That our lives were a mess until God came in and spoke life into our dying souls. This is why we're here. You don't have to spend time speaking about culture or other relevant topics of the moment or what we hear about on the news. Why don't we do that? Simple, because those aren't capable of bringing us to life. They're informative and they may be entertaining, but they don't bring us to life. What we need is a woke spiritual life. We need to be awakened spiritually. Therefore, our faith in Jesus Christ must be the most precious possession that we have today because it is a dividing line between eternal life and eternal condemnation. Well, the invitation will go out again. Come to Christ. Hear the words of Christ and stop acting like you already know them when all you do is come here on Sunday morning and just sit down and, and live the rest of your life in complete rejection of the gospel. That's not what we're called to do. Because those who hear, as verse 24 says, are recipients of this eternal life. Of this beautiful spiritual life that we have as 
those who hear the gospel. This is what most theologians call inaugurated eschatology. That's why this is so important. And that's why Jesus is continuously saying, truly, 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 waking them up. Because he's pointing them to a future. He's pointing them to a moment of judgment. It's inaugurated eschatology in a sense because he has already started the kingdom. There is already judgment taking place. He has already activated the kingdom of God on earth, but it's not going to come to its full realization until his second coming. But those who hear and those who believe already have eternal life. So it doesn't start at the resurrection, my friends. It isn't like you believe in Christ and and in the future you're going to have eternal life. Or when you when, when, when you die and, and, and resurrect, that's when your eternal life begins. No, eternal life begins now. Eternal life begins today if you hear the voice of Christ. This is eternal life. It has a beautiful quality to it. It isn't just a time frame. It isn't that only that you're going to live forever. Rather, eternal life has present consequences. It is a life that we come to understand through Christ and the power of this life in Christ. What the disciples would begin to understand, and so we will begin to understand about this eternal life, is that the struggle and the tension between living in this world on a daily basis and the the world to come. Here and now, we face multiple attacks on many fronts. The devil is a roaring, a roaming lion seeking whom to devour. It's constantly tempting God's people, causing them to sin. We have a real battle with sin. All of us here, including myself, deal with this pressing issue of sin. We aren't slaves to sin anymore because Christ has broken the chains and the bondage of sin. But we still deal with sin. We would be liars if we say we're perfect people. We would be lying, as the epistle of John says, that that those who say that they're perfect are calling God a liar. None of us here have this perfection or have achieved this perfection. But we're dealing with this issue of sin. And we hate it as sons of God, as children of Christ. We hate the fact that we still have to deal with this. Why? Because we've been born again. There is a new life in us that causes us to reject the sin that we do. And so when we do it, what happens? Our spirits are down. And we go to Christ in prayer and ask for forgiveness because we messed up. We don't just feel bad about it. No, like... When you say something you shouldn't have said in an argument with your husband or with your wife and you guys are screaming at each other and yelling at the top of your lungs and your neighbors are hearing what's going on and everyone's scared and your kids are scared because everyone's screaming. And then you say something you shouldn't have said and you walk out of the house and you slam the door on your wife or on your husband and you walk out and you sit in your car and you're like, dang, I shouldn't have said that. But then you're like, oh, well, let me go get some coffee or let me go drink with the boys. It isn't feeling bad about your sin. 
It is knowing that you have offended a holy God. And in this life, we deal with that. And as sons of God, all we want to do is please God and not cause him to, to, to look down on us, not, not cause him to, to see us in our sin. We have to deal with this. And the disciples of the first century would have to deal with this. That's why, as we read earlier in Matthew, Jesus prepares them. Hey, this life is not going to be easy. I know there's a lot of popular pastors out there on TV that says you're going to have a great life. Friends, it's not easy. Life isn't easy, especially when you're in Christ. Because you're, the enemy has you in his radar. You will constantly be attacked. The first three, four centuries of the church, those people constantly persecuted and assassinated and torn up to pieces by lions in Colosseums understood that the Christian life wasn't easy. There's many things that we deal with. Health issues, pandemics, money problems, even getting married is an issue. All of these things we have to deal with now. But we have hope for what's to come. But Paul says this in Galatians chapter 2. This is a beautiful statement by the Apostle Paul. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. Who loved me and gave himself for me. So what is the benefit of eternal life now? That we participate along with Christ. That Christ lives in us. Christ lives in us and we live in Christ. And therefore we have a glorious eternal life now where we're free from condemnation Friends, we are going to cry. We are going to hurt. We are going to ask ourselves, why does this happen? Why does this continuously happen? Why are we living in this pandemic? Why are so many people dying? We are in this uneasy moment in our life, but we have Christ. Christ lives in us, and we live now in Christ. So as a Christian, the heavenly life isn't something that we look forward to. It is something that begins immediately upon believing in the voice of Christ. So friends, this morning, I invite you to come to Christ. I invite you to wake up. Stop living a life of religion if that's been your case. If this is you, wake up. Don't play games with Christ. But come to Christ in full obedience and surrender your life to him, if you've heard his voice called to you today. So let's stand up, friends. Let me pray for you this morning. Once again, sorry for this rushing constantly and moving. Got to get people out, got to get people in and all of this chaos, but... This is all temporary. But in reality, I want, I'm, I'm calling you out. I'm calling everyone to come to Christ. It, it, I wouldn't be a responsible minister of the word of God if, if 
if this is just a game for everybody. You need to come to Christ and you need to live a life of obedience. If not, honestly, friend, I would stay home and enjoy bed. But if you're here, I'm calling you to listen to the voice of God. So let's pray. Father, before we close this morning, we want to come to you. And if there's anyone here, Father, that has, has heard your call this morning, bring them to light. Wake them up. Open their, ear, their ears. Open their hearing so that they can look at this world with disdain and they could come to the Father. Because Christ has made a way. Bring them to Christ this morning. In Jesus' name. Amen.